do you want to do a bit? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to do a bit for the opener? Pitch the room, pitch the room. I was going to be like, Jason, it's game day. And then I was going to crack my beer that I have here. And then every time I said it's game day, I was going to put the sound effect of the beer cracking. Like I was cracking (laughs) another one. So every time, every time I say beyond the first one, Jason, it's game day. I want you to mentally be like, oh, he cracked another beer and then be like, did you, did you just open another one? So that's, that's the bit that's, that's, I don't know if it's going to get used. I don't know about (laughs) the quality of the bit, but you just want to try it out. All right, all right, all right. So let me let me compose myself. Let me get my whole shit together. Okay. Yeah. Jason. Nick. You brought sports to the podcast. Sure did. This is kind of on you. I just want to say, Jason, it's game day. Oh my god, I can't open this thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna ru- <laughs> this is gonna ruin the bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. This, this stays in. No, no, this is now the bit. <laughs> this is the, the bit is that I fucked up. It's that my my tiny feeble artist hands cannot open <laughs> this can of beer. The bit is now I am masquerading as a uh, connoisseur of sports. Jason, if I say connoisseur of sports, does that instantly make me not a connoisseur of sports? No, because if you read some sports journalism especially like sports journalism like circa like the 70s and stuff those guys are so far up their own ass like i swear to god like, they write, like <laughs> i'm like i'm not even joking man like they, they're like and this golf game came close to like finally solidifying peace in the middle east it's like no one fucking didn't what are you talking about it's a game i don't know man the world's gotten worse since the 70s maybe it maybe it kind of did well, the world got has gotten worse because of the seventies. Oh no! I think is the. Are you is, saying? Is, is are you the, saying, it, Jason? If if I can paraphrase, uh-huh. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But are you saying that golf journalism <laughs> from the seventies is directly <laughs> to blame for the world being worse right now? You know what? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> That's, I'm. I'm. I'm not going to back down from it. I'm going to make a, a vague statement that might be kind of true in a certain context, but I'm never going to back down from it. And the more I'm challenged at it, on it, the more angry I'm going to get. All right. Okay. Well, let's, <laughs> let's compartmentalize the anger and put it away for just a second. Okay. <laughs> I'm Nick Filardi. I'm Jason Thielbar. Welcome to the World's Second Fridays podcast. Hey, so I didn't get a chance to ask you before we started the pod and and the reckless abandon of that bit. But uh, mm. did you get a chance to read all the issues and everything that was out on the stands? Uh, I read the three mains, so I'm sticking with the three okay. mains. I haven't I haven't hit up the Robin trilogy yet, but I plan okay. on doing that this week, especially because uh, re-listening to the last episode and just hearing myself. Uh, have the recall of the cry of the huntress of like the Robin three and like seeing those yeah. like, when they came yeah, out, yeah. I was like, I don't ever really remember reading them. Cause I was never that big of a DC kid, but you know, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm in the app now. So it's weird that you weren't a DC kid. And now look at where we are. Look at around, look at the pod around you. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. Well, you know what? Also, though, like I was never one to like to really care. Just happened to read more Marvel stuff. But then also the age that we are, uh, image just starting up, you know, like we oh, were talking yeah. about last episode, like that just like a me. So it wasn't like I was like against reading DC books. It's just I wanted the new I wanted that issue of, um oh, God, what was the name of that? Was it like Strike Force or so- oh, an image God. first issue where the special cover was that you rubbed the blood that was on the cover and it would disappear and then reappear what? again. What? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know about this. Yeah. So like me at like 11 years old, you know, 11, 12 years old, just enamored with shit like right. this. Yeah. You're like, give me the blood gimmick cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh, bat- Batman doesn't have that many pouches. He only has it around his belt is, you know, he's like five on That's true. thigh. You know, weird helmet, like right, right. So you read you read the mainline books. Yeah, I thought this this month for uh, the Bat books was a particularly weak month. I was reading these books and I was like, ugh, agreed. Ugh. Uh, yeah, kind of, kind of the same way. You know, um, the the Batman Batman Adventures, uh, which we'll get into, I thought was all right, but like. I, I don't know. It's like I struggle to be um, too critical of it because like I don't want to feel like I'm like beating up on like some clearly like, you know, hard and best work that someone like has to do. And especially on like popular books like this where like the turnaround is insane, you know, for like what you have to put into it, sure. and, like how quickly they want it out and the quality that they want. Like it's just but at the sure. same time, just being honest, like you're right. It's just, it's just pretty, it's just pretty weak. It's kind of weak. Yeah. Uh, I, you know? there's a, um, Twitter account called the spinner rack. I love that account. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll, they'll be like, okay, this week in 1991, like this is what was on the shelf. And I was looking at those books and I was like, oh, I want to read, I want to read those books. I was and then I was like, yeah. did, did, did we make a mistake with Batman? Did we, did we did we goof it? I, I don't know. Anyway, let's get into exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Today we're talking about the Batman Adventures uh, issue four, which came out December 8th, 1992. It had a new writer and artist team than the previous three issues. It's written by uh, Martin Pascal and penciled by Brad Rader. The inker, colorist, letterer and editor remain constant. Inks by Rick Burchett, colored by Rick Taylor, lettered by Tim Harkins, edits by Scott Peterson. It came out alongside Detective Comics 655, which featured The General, the same 11-year-old tactical genius featured last issue. And we talked about him in the last pod. In this issue, Batman interrupts a scuffle between The General and a rival gang. He assumes The General is a low-level gang member child and saves him from the firefight only to be sucker punched by him of course through all this batman remains very tired of everything just tired of everything after tracking down the general he realizes that the general is making a play for gotham pd what he considers to be the biggest gang in town i had to check to make sure that uh you know it was the same penciler because it was like it it felt like a different artist tackled this issue than last issue did you notice that as well uh a little bit i don't think as much as you um only because i've actually and i, and I have to thank um 
I, I don't know who wrote it, but like, you know, again, when we were kids, uh, Wizard Magazine was like a huge thing. And I, of course, like I had a subscription sure. to Wizard Magazine for like years. That shit just came straight to my door sometimes or a, a subscription box at, you know, Sarge's. Um, and uh, I remember them displaying once. I think it actually might have been Tom, Palm, Tom Palmer Jr., who is largely responsible for getting me into underground books because of his column Palmer's Picks that was all about underground books. Uh, but his father, oh, Tom Palmer Sr., is, you know, known as one of the greatest inkers of, I think, the Silver Age is when he came up. Um, OK. Or maybe a little later. Uh, but he, but but it was this great. I just always remember this great piece of like they took uh, pencils from the same artist and they just handed it to different inkers, you know, and like yeah. they handed it to guys who like were like almost full time inkers like Jimmy Palmati or. Uh, sometimes pencilers who would sometimes ink, you know, and it just showed just how different, like, even when they weren't trying to, like, fill in for, like, some deficiency, you know, it was just, yeah, yeah this is a totally different human being putting their lines over another human being's lines. So they're not, it's not always going to be a one-to-one. And I think people who don't know about so, inking and how it works, you know. I thought the same thing. I was like, either this is a different penciler or a different inker inkering by the way a lost art form like oh. inkers inkers nowadays uh occasionally i have people in my uh discord who are, are like trying to break into comics and they're like i want to be a penciler and i'm like you really have to either like get a buddy to ink your stuff or you need to like just do everything like the ideas of like pencilers and inkers being separate is an idea from like that, like kind of died in the nineties by like the two thousands, they started really fading away, unfortunately. Um, And comics now look a lot different than they did back then. And this is part of that. But anyway, the issue at hand, I checked to make sure detective comics, six fifty four. I was like, maybe they got a different inker. And like that dude's just taking some liberties, but no, same inker, same penciler in the first issue. He was like going all out, really hatching a lot of the form. And mm. then in 655, he just like put these like sun. I don't know how to describe it other than he put a bunch of sunburst patterns into the spot blacks in <laughs> order to make it like cool. But like he did that every it was like. Oh, I can kind of understand if you're putting it on metal, but he'd like put it on Batman's face and his gloves and his his cowl. And it was like everywhere. And it was like flattening out the work. It just made it look kind of like amateurish. I, I don't know. It was it was very frustrating for me when I was reading it because I just I just felt like he was swinging for the fences in 654. And then in 655, it was like. Oh, he just got rushed, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know what the specific circumstances were, but like there was clearly something had happened where things got out of control. Uh, it definitely sounds like a, uh, a young artist move to me, you, you know, because because like you, you, when you're a young artist and you're like, oh, this thing looks cool. You don't really like you just want to put it everywhere. But we're talking about like detective comics. We're talking about a mainline bat book. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you hire, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe DC was hiring like young artists at the time to like put on mainline books like this. I don't, I don't know, but like, it, I feel like if you're working on Detective 
now, at least now, if you're working on detective or you're working on Batman, you've, you've like, you've got some issues under your belt. You're not like yeah. new to the game. I'm, I'm wondering, and you, you would have the insight here, but I'm wondering, and maybe it was a lot different in the nineties, but maybe there was a certain trend of that kind of like certain style that was popular. And maybe his editor was like, I want to keep up with the trends. You got Can you add more like whatever this is? Oh, maybe to yeah. the book. You, you, you know, and, and I, the guy's I really like, I'm, tr- how- I'm trying, and he's, and it's just like didn't work or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like when, um, uh, well, and you see it all over the '90s. Like there were definitely editors who were like, "Hey, hey, draw, draw like Jim Lee," and it's like, but, but I'm not, I'm not Jim Lee or Todd McFarlane. Oh, like, man, don't even get me started. Yeah. And and that's when it's really interesting to see like these um, artist evolutions. Like when you see like a, I think Mark Bagley is a good example where like he's just kind of like sure you know no insult to him but like he was just always like a just stay, just good guy he works quick does does pretty good work not gonna like blow blow your mind or anything with the kind of stuff he does but like you know drew Spider Man a bunch draws really good Spider Man like really uh, yeah. but when he started in the nineties there's there's very clearly like either through him or him and editors being being like trying to force his style into what was popular at the time and then when you see him start on uh, Ultimate Spider Man which he was yeah he was the original artist on that wasn't he um back yeah in, yeah he did it he did it for a long time yeah and it was like it wasn't completely different from what he did when he was in the industry uh first started and i'm sure a lot of that was just like you know the more you draw the more you change your style changes yeah he got com- he got more comfortable he got more comfortable drawing his page his pages not jim lee yeah. he shed the influences yes yeah yeah what wherever they came from yeah mike oming uh he he's said in interviews before that he really wanted to be art adams you think about like mike oming and he's like definitely in the bruce tim style of artists and like in that umbrella and then you think about art adams and it's in this like hyper uh detailed mark making like world and to think that like by the time that like Mike got enough pages under his belt. He kind of shed that influence. And he said that he also did that to like try to get pages out on time, like basically to be mm. quicker. He yeah. had to like kind of like, okay, I, I really love our Adams, but we got to put that on the shelf and I need to do it my way kind of thing. You know? Yeah. I can't, I, I can't um, spend 15 hours cross hatching the same panel. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, yeah, I do think that artists, like grow and evolve and you know maybe uh michael netzer was just growing and evolving and trying something out very publicly in detective comics 655 but it was not it was not working for me however however i do want to say one more thing Mm -hmm. about detective comics 655 and i had a i had a revelation while i was reading it because batman can like is suddenly next to the general the 11-year-old kid, right, who's uniting the gangs of Gotham. And I'm like, holy shit, Batman's going to punch an 11-year-old? I was like, (laughs) I was like, that has to be where this goes, right? Like, eventually, (laughs) Batman is going to beat the shit out of an 11-year-old. And Jason, I'm kind of here for it. Like, I think that we are early enough 
we are early enough in comics that they're going to do something wild like that. Like they're just going to swing for the, they're going to be like, well, he's got to beat the shit out of him. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I think maybe they'll bring, they'll bring Robin in for that one. You know, like he'll want to hit him because Robin's at least closer. He'll just like kick the shit out of him. It's a little more socially acceptable for a 16 year old to beat up like an 11 year old than a grown ass man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you can say, and then you can be like, oh, well, uh, Robin lost his temper and Batman can be like, now Tim, you know, you have to, we have to control. That's what makes us better. He's just a kid Tim. Yeah. Right. 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 So that's where you think it's going. Probably. But I, 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 I hope to, I, I hope that Batman beats the shit out of a 11 year old who thinks he's like a genius because he knows who Alexander the great is. It's like, dude, right, like, come right. on. That that's your idea of a smart person. I, I fucking kicked ass at trivial pursuit when I was a kid. All right. They made me take questions from the adult box from when I was nine years old. That's only because I know dumb fucking trivia. It doesn't mean I would have made a good general. <laughs> it's like oh i know i know who alexander the great was and like uh napoleon it's like yeah but do you have the military experience either of those men had right 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 (laughs) it's very very different reading it in a book than doing it anyway the point is yeah batman will hit a child and we are here for it (laughs) the pod is here for it that might be a more catchy uh podcast name what batman will hit a child Yeah, just that's, just the, that's the new podcast name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Batman will hit a child. <laughs> I, so that was a, that was a middle issue. Um, it was like yeah, one of or it was two of three. I I think it's three. Um, Shadow of the Bat had the same problem. Shadow of the Bat number eight was the middle issue of three. It was same creative team, Alan Grant writing and Tim Sale on art. Tim Sale. Always a delight. Still, still really fantastic. Um, it's same same arc. It's the Misfits, uh, Catman, Killer Moth, Calendar Man, and Chancer. They managed to kidnap uh, the mayor, Gordon, and Bruce Wayne. Bruce tries to escape but can't. Robin decides he has no choice but to team up with Nimrod, who is going after Chancer. Um, at, if he has a shot at saving Bruce, it kind of sets up the next issue. But like not a lot happens like they kidnap them using some like pranks and stuff like and a giant net and a yeah it's like a a speaker of gunfire (laughs) and a giant net stops the entire police force it's and who apparently was all there in one single place like just you know as you do you just all gather in one single location in all fairness, the net was was very very big. It was it was a big net. Anyway, the point is is that <laughs> this is a middle issue, and because of that, it's like there just kind of not a lot happens. Like we don't get the beginning yeah. setup, and we don't get the end kind of like punch of the thing. We don't get where it's going. So it's just like Bruce Wayne tried to escape. He couldn't do it. Robin figures out to team up with Nimrod and like, that's it. But I will say that Tim sale does some really incredible location work in this issue. I don't know if you picked up on that. Uh, I did. He, he draws uh, a Gotham uh, police department as like this beautiful, like noir setting. 
Um, and then Nimrod's shithole apartment is very different than like Wayne Manor. And like he does all these locations. And even though um, the colorist who's limited in the amount of colors that they can they can choose, even though that the colorist is working on a very limited palette and is kind of doing kind of the same thing through the issue, uh, Tim Sale makes it feel like different lived in environments, which I really, really appreciated. Like he does some beautiful, beautiful shots through this issue. I think artists like him probably actually really love doing background and perspective work. Whereas like a lot of artists uh, really, really hate that. Cause that stuff's really hard and it's really it easy to get discouraged after you start. You're like, okay, well, all right. I know what a vanishing point is. Okay. Here's my horizon line. Okay. And then you're like two hours in and you're like, none of this looks right. None of this looks right. Fuck this. It's a white <laughs> background. I don't, you know, uh, but but I think I think some artists just have um, uh, fun doing it, like a, a YouTube show that I love to watch, Drawfee. Uh, one of the artists on there, uh, uh, Julia Lapetite, who is she's a phenomenal uh, artist. Like all all the time, she has these like she doesn't mean to, but she'll like flex on everyone else because she's like kind of the best like technical artist, you know, yeah, of the bunch. And like there's this like famous one episode of theirs where she's just does an entire background in Blender without ever really knowing blender yeah. and just kind of you know teaching and, and then porting that background into photoshop so she can paint over it it's just like like 10 hours of work on a background and the other artists are just like that's insane and she's like well this this was the fun part you know right. and i'm yeah and I, yeah, yeah, yeah and i think and, and i think with that kind of stuff like it's not only the the drawing of it but it's the you're right it's the composition it's the realizing like okay like here's like the police department and I want to make it like big and authoritative. Uh, and then here's this down on his luck, uh, falsely accused for murder vigilante in this dingy yeah. like flea bag mo- motel. And I want it like small and confined and like to really show the griminess and like right. the rundown poor nature of it. And like even that, like that's and that's some hard shit to do. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, like it's absolutely. not like there's also a great bit in this i think this issue is worth it for um so two of the villains i forget which two i think it's calendar man and Catman. maybe i can't remember they're like getting away and they got they got the the mayor and the commissioner in the in the trunk or whatever and like they're the police are like all points bulletin on this car. We've got the plate. And then they hit a, they hit a button in the car and the plate spins and changes. And then a, a cop car rolls by. Right. And like Catman and calendar man just kind of like slink down in the seat and like put their hand up. Like they're like, they would not be noticed as like these ridiculous yeah, villains as the police car rolls by. And then like, the police don't pull them over because the license they can't because the license plate changed and and then they just roll home. Yeah. Just like it's yeah, yeah. an absurd, absurd moment that is just like so good. And you could tell that like oh, yeah. it's it's only it's like literally one tier of comic book pages on that page. And I was like, oh, this moment's so good. And Tim Sale crushed it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like the um I think sometimes. Uh, especially in as you go further back in time in comic books, I think sometimes you see panels like that and people read it thinking like, 
oh man, what these guys were so dumb, like leaving that in. It's like, no, they knew. Okay. Like they knew how it's like, these are adults making this. Like they knew how they put it in as a joke. You know, it's like they, man, like, it's funny that you say that because there's a lot of, a lot of the stuff that I'm like revisiting when I'm revisiting a lot of older comics. I remember being a kid and being like, I want it gritty and real and I want it like I want it taken seriously and now that I'm an adult I'm like I just want to have a good time like just just like if it makes me laugh like I don't care as long as it's like as long as I'm having fun reading it like that's all that matters oh yeah yeah oh no I completely agree I I got I got wildly too deep into um uh when understanding comics came out I read it like three times in a row I think it came out when we were like 12 or 13 and it blew my friggin' mind blew my tiny mind because i was like wait a minute sure. you can consider comic books like legitimate art like painting and stuff um sure and so sure. i got very 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 serious you know overtly serious about my tastes here and there yeah. you know uh, and you're right yeah it had to be dark and had to be serious and it had to be it's like well no the story just has to be good like cormac mccarthy books aren't good because they're dark you know they're right. good because he is a supremely talented writer you know, like yeah. I feel like we're also talking about like a problem with the 80s and 90s in general. Just mm. like we wanted these dark reboots and like and, and you know, like what was what's the Frank Miller book? Batman Returns is not Batman. Returns. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the dark, uh, the dark Knight Returns. Dark Knight Returns. Thank you. I can't believe yeah. that one blanked out of my brain. But uh, <laughs> like the most classic Batman book of all time. Anyway, uh, like I feel like that came out and like Watchmen came out and people were like, oh, we got to get dark and gritty. And like I think Image kind of rode those coattails initially, especially with their I think Spawn was their best selling book at the time because that was like dark and gritty and, you know, whatever. Uh, Yeah. I feel like that was just the trend at the time. So people were like leaning into that. And I, you know, we said before I don't think that trend has held up at all. Like I think some of those, some of those stories are just like downers for the sake of being downers. You know, I think what happens is, is those, those books came out. Right. And uh, even in movies, just like across like culture, there are these movies in the eighties and nineties that came out that had like a darker kind of bent. uh, And then people only took like the surface level from it. You know, like it's wild to think when you look back on it, that RoboCop was, not understood as a satire by a lot of people, you know, and I first saw it when I was 11. So I think I can be forgiven for the first time I saw it, not understanding what satire was, pardon me, um, because I was fucking 11 years old, you know, but other people see Robocop and they're like, oh, it's a commentary on like the high crime rate. I'm like, no, it's a commentary on the fucking police state, man. Like, yeah, yeah, it can't be any clearer than that. Like it's, it's pretty, Paul Verhoeven's like pretty, he, he hits you over the head with the metaphor, you know, to be fair. Uh, this happens all the time in art. And one of the things that's happened in the last couple of years that I've, I've, I've grown to really appreciate is when conservatives stopped and listened to rage against the machine for the first time after like fucking like 30 years of listening to it. And then they're like, wait, wait a minute, wait, wait just a minute. (laughs) Oh yeah. They they do that shit all the time. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. There's a um, but, the, the the Woody Guthrie song "This Land Is Your Land" is a prime yeah, example. Right. Like they just drop like half the lyrics of what they teach kids in American schools, and because that that song is about like uh, 
how terrible American imperialism is. <laughs> it was written like yeah. in the thirties. <laughs> I, I I think yeah. that when somebody when somebody reads anything, they come into it. It's hard for a person to to not come into it from their point of view. You know what I mean? Like yes. they want it to like reassure them of their own point of view more than they want more than they're able to like kind of step out of it and just see it for what it is. I think that stuff is is just straight up hard for people, especially if you're like yeah, not doing a lot of reading and not thinking a lot about like the media that you're consuming. Uh you just kind of get caught up in things and just like, oh, this is this is the th- I liked when RoboCop shot that guy in the dick and it's like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I like that too. We all like that. Yeah. There yeah. is something else going on. Yeah, and I think also like you you can be forgiven for a lot of that stuff too because there's uh it's very very important to uh copy the the stuff that you love because you want to figure out how it's done. And so the only yeah. way like I you know if it if I'm a kid in the 80s and I really love Frank Miller, well, I'm going to be copying like, you know, Ronin and uh Daredevil stuff and you know whatever uh to to figure sure. it out, you know. Uh, and like eventually you you grow out, you know, it's like learning to be a chef. Like you have a recipe book, but if you do it long enough and you're paying attention, you go, well, I'm going to tweak this here. I'm going to tweak this there. And then suddenly like you, you made a dish that reflects you rather than reflecting the recipe yeah, man. you were trying to. You uh, shed your influences, just like we were talking about before. Like, yeah, but it's an important step. It's a very important step. Yeah, you start to be like, okay, there's all these things that I'm I'm doing. I'm copying all this stuff. And then eventually you're like, Oh, I'm just going to do it on my own. Like I can, I've done this enough now that like, I'm just going to be me. So Shadow of the Bat 8 was on stands, Detective Comics 655. Also on stands, Batman 488, Jim Aparo on art, uh, Doug Monich on writing. I'm probably Monich uh, on writing. I'm probably getting his name wrong. Apologies. We'll send you an edible arrangement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll send him an edible arrangement. Uh, this is basically uh, setting up Azrael, which we should probably do because he's going to be like Batman for the next like year and a half or whatever. Yeah, I'm honestly very interested now in Azrael because I, I very um, I remember as a kid actually liking the Nightfall like saga, and yeah, uh, those were the few times I'd buy like DC books. Those books are coming up, by the way. Nice, nice. But I just remember even as a kid being kind of perplexed as to like, wait, he's a weird Catholic Christian priest or something, you know, like the order that Azriel like comes from. Of like, I'm like, where did that even come from as a plot device? I, I, I really want to know yeah. the kernel of that creation of we're going to make him this like weirdo opus gay religious freak who's an insane murderer as well, apparently, or whatever. I kind of obviously my memory is murky. This issue like basically begins with Batman just like telling Robin who Asriel is. And I guess there was like issues before this where Batman was fighting Asriel that we just didn't get. Uh, they're, they're pulling from some history of them. Uh, but for anyone who doesn't know, Asriel is the quote unquote avenging angel of the secret order of St. Dumas. He is programmed uh, to be this angel through a series of mind control blocks and triggers. So sometimes Jean-Paul Valley, who is Azrael, is driving. And sometimes 
the combat programming of Asriel is driving, and you're never really sure who's in control. Um, and that's basically Asriel in a nutshell. I don't know, like, they keep the Order of St. Damas, like, very secret in the books, so you don't really know what their goals are or why they even made Asriel, but, like, he's just existing out in the world. Uh, Batman in yeah. this issue not only explains to Robin who Asriel is, but also uh, he takes John Paul on some training. Uh, not Batman, Robin does. Robin takes John Paul on some training in order to, quote-unquote, guide and mold him, according to Batman. Um, Batman doesn't do it himself because Jason, he, he's just so tired. He's just so <laughs> goddamn tired. When, when I encountered that in the, um, was it Detective, right? Detective Comics, uh, the recent ones mm-hmm. is where he... Um, uh, well, I shouldn't say recent, but anyway, but that's when like the the subplot is that Bruce Wayne is just so just so goddamn exhausted. tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just in, I just in my head, I always think of um. There's this great Fugazi song off of uh, the album Instrument, which was a soundtrack to Fugazi documentary, just called "I'm So Tired," and it's just this really slow, just uh piano. It's just like echo. Yeah, yeah, I know that song. You know. Yeah, yeah, just Ian McKay just going, I'm so tired. And like that just that's, like plays in my head when I see yeah, this like exhausted Bruce Wayne. Like he's like yeah, yeah, collapsing he's, on the stairs and falling asleep and stuff. It's just like so weird. It's so weird. Um anyway. Yeah. So speaking of things that are weird and stupid, uh <laughs> <laughs> Robin, Robin takes. Should that be the name of the podcast? Speaking of things that are weird and stupid, <laughs> Robin takes Azrael uh, on a uh, kind of like a training mission, and uh, they go and look into this guy that uh, Batman suggested they look into. He's like a, a Wayne Tech security guy, but he's also involved in a biker gang. And that biker gang is hired for corporate espionage for some reason. <laughs> and then, like, basically, <laughs> the biker gang shows up to Wayne Tech in order to be corporate spies. And then Azriel and Robin take them all out. But not before Azriel's programming is kind of driving and putting him into some risky situations. But everyone gets out alive, so it's all good. Robin's kind of like, eh, this is sketchy, but like, whatever. Um, at the very end, Batman schedules a psych exam with apparently the psychologist that is treating uh, Tim Drake's father, I think for alcoholism, but I'm not, I, my memory's fuzzy on that. I'm I'm pretty sure you're right. I'm pretty sure Tim Drake's dad Tim Drake's dad was a single dad because like his mom died when he was a kid from something. I think maybe criminal related, you know, and then sure. his dad became a sad, uh, abusive alcoholic, and then that's how Tim Drake ended up like there were I, I remember man. there being Yeah, and I remember there being some tension of these stories where like, you know, Tim's like, Well, he's all I'm all he has, and it might be the blah blah blah. And like Bruce is like, No, but you you know, you have potential, you know, like that, that, that was the drama of when he it's was a hard to- situation. I, you know, I was surprised. We didn't talk about this when we were talking about shadow of the bat, but like they were like really going for some social commentary for good or ill. <laughs> yeah. In, in shadow of the bat, they had this whole speech about the AIDS crisis in like the middle of the book about how we need to like, you know, tackle this with education and, uh, you know, we shouldn't, you know, uh, uh, 
ostracize these people who have HIV and stuff. And then when I was reading um, the new uh, uh, Batman Adventures issue four, there was actually a full page ad of Tim Drake being like some kids getting bullied at school because he's HIV positive. And uh. like Alfred's like, oh, that's a shame that can turn into AIDS. And he's like, yeah, but like, I don't have the education to know, like, like, you know, if he sits on a toilet, will we get AIDS? You know, like st- that, like, dumb. it's, it's dumb now. Yeah, Cause it's yeah. like, like we're, we are so educated on it, but like back then it was well, like, the- this was important for it to like be in the comic. I thought was like really kind of interesting and for it to be like, um, it's going to be center stage in like the middle of the book. Like you, you can't read around this thing, you know? And even the characters comment like, Oh, it's a really good speech. Like, like, like they're trying to get the reader to pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people forget and like, you know, and far be it from me to like, I'm going to just try to broadly generalize this, this next point um, because I'm a straight white man. Uh, but yeah. people tend for tend to forget that like even people our age like I'm only 41 you know and I had friends in high school who I knew who when they came out they got the shit beat out of them you know yeah. yeah and that and like and that was you know 20 years ago which in the time of like uh, uh societal change isn't very long and there's so much that has sure. changed like I I was talking about it the other day with a friend um uh, New London uh, mainstay bar, the Brass Rail, uh, closed down before the pandemic. Like they just ran yeah. out of money, um, and it was the only gay bar left. And like in like New London County too, is one of the few like just openly like just gay bars. It's been a gay yeah. bar for a long time, and it's very much missed. And they opened a new restaurant in it. And I was talking about it with a friend of mine, and like a lot of the younger generation now doesn't see a need for gay bars because there's a lot of places where they're just much more accepted. accepted. Yeah. yeah. And like, and like not, and of course it's not perfect. And I'm sure. And again, just the caveat that I of just course. don't know, but like, you know, it's like more and more people now will feel safer. Like if someone, if, if you're a guy and you hit on another guy at a, at a bar, you have less fear now, at least maybe in Connecticut of like getting the crap kicked out of you. I was going to say, maybe, maybe in Connecticut, they're uh, in rural North Carolina. It's it's still a little, uh, still a little, uh, oh, yeah. Not great. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Hey, we still have Montville, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> there's still those places in Connecticut. There's still a lot of progress to make on this front for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, but you're totally right, though. It's, it, it is really, it's at least like cool to see that they were trying. No matter how much it seems like kind of clunky, but there is an intention there of, oh, shit, it's 1992 and this AIDS thing seems like a big deal. Well, uh, the mayor of Gotham would totally care about finding a cure for AIDS and like having it uh, uh, helping people out. That would totally be a thing that I. Right, right. Yeah. And and thanks for bringing up the ads, because I was thinking about that when I was reading through my digital copy of Batman Adventures and Shadow of the Bat. I was like. Yeah, I had a thought. I'm like, you know, I used to be annoyed by them. <laughs> but now that they're gone, I'm like, <laughs> I want I'm like, I want an ad for uh uh that board game crossfire that had like the super exciting commercial. And I haven't when, seen when any of my, those. When me and my brother got it for Christmas, we were like, This sucks. This toy sucks and it doesn't work like they say yeah. it does in the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the other the other book that all, alongside of the uh, big three was uh, Showcase 93, which you did not read. Um, Showcase 93, issue one, hit stands, and it's still 1992, but they're, they're going for it. Um, <laughs> it's a huge 48-page book with three stories in it with three different art teams. It has an early Art Adams front and back cover, which is gorgeous. Oh um, God, Art Adams! Oh my yeah. God, Doug Much. I, I I butchered his name again. We're gonna have to sign him another edible arrangement. <laughs> Doug Moninch, uh, who was writing Batman at the time, wrote the Catwoman story in there uh, with Ed Hannigan on art. I'm not super familiar with Ed, but I really enjoyed the art. Uh, Catwoman uh, goes to steal a painting for a client. She finds out that the painting is already stolen. She tracks down the original thieves because now it's like she's doing her her Catwoman business and she's got to see it through. Um, she tracks down the original thieves. She finds out it's a rival gang that is set up on Sorrow Street. She busts up some drug deals to get their attention and rattle the cage. Uh, we usually don't talk about supporting teams on these issues, but Joe Orlando is on colors. And even with a limited palette, he made some incredible mood especially in the uh first part with like catwoman running from the cops after unsuccessfully stealing the painting uh just really really fantastic however oh my god jason i am so sick of gangs in gotham like oh jesus yeah i i made i I had that thought too i think it was in the the shadow of the bat one i was just like it's just yeah they're all getting what the everything's gangs it's a very, very 90s thing, though, to be right. terrified, to be terrified that gangs are going to just run rampant. Like the whole general character, I, I'm i assuming that they made sure that the kid was going to be white, but he totally has, quote unquote, super predator vibes. Oh People actually God. believed that shit, though. They b- actually believed that dude, shit. I dude, so... So I was thinking about this when I was reading the Showcase 93 issue one that like I I meant to look this up. I don't know when Giuliani ended up cleaning up New York City, but it had to be around this time. And then also I was thinking about like those movies Death Wish where (laughs) horrified like vigilante justice against gangs. Um, Yeah. Like this all had to be like. It cooking around the same time because I knew that 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 stuff kind of happened in the 80s, but it might have been late 80s. And this is kind of like a reflection of that. However, Batman 488, it's about gangs. Detective Comics 655, it's about gangs committing corporate espionage. Showcase 93, it's about gangs committing art theft. I'm just like. Batman Adventures. Batman, the most recent Batman Adventures, Scarecrow employs gangs because he knows they're illiterate. Oh my god, we gotta get into it. Shit, like, yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to do the, um, I didn't know if you wanted to do the 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 breakdown or you just want to talk more broadly because it was sort of like we said, it was kind of a light ish issue. So I didn't know if it was a light ish issue. We could talk more broadly. Uh, I do want to make. I do want to make one note though before we start to talk about the uh, Batman the animated issue. Just to be like, it's a scarecrow issue. Um, it's also the first time we see Robin in the book. So I yep. went to look up, you know, when we see Robin for the first time in the regular animated series. Turns out we see Robin and Scarecrow at the same time 
in the same episode at for the first time. It's um, the Scarecrow episodes. He was featured in three episodes before this issue came out. Nothing to fear, fear of victory, and dreams in darkness. Fear of victory is the most important episode in relation to this issue that we're about to talk about because it's also the first time we see Dick Grayson as Robin. Um, it's 19 episodes in, and it, it's or this episode has so much in common with this issue. It feels like this was the episode, the first draft of this episode, almost. Oh yeah, because like, they work on they work on the animated series. That's right. Right. Yeah. So the writing team, um, the writer for this issue, for this Batman animated issue, who's uh, Martin Pasco, uh, he is a uh, writer, and then uh, Brad Rader is a storyboard artist. For so they're working on the show, and I was like, I was reading this issue after watching that episode, and I was like, you guys are really just like, you really just like, I wanted to do this, and then I got overruled, and now I'm doing it in the comics, basically. Like it, it feels like that. Um, so yeah, let me just break yeah, down yeah. Uh, Fear of Victory real quick. Eerily similar. Has Dick Grayson in college? We had that in the Batman issue. Yep. Has Scarecrow delivering like some sort of mind-altering toxin while he's not around, so like he has, he can be away from the chaos. It also like culminates with Robin falling like under the fear toxin spell. Fear of victory has him. Uh, the whole the whole hook is. Uh, he gets like a little powder on your skin and then you whenever your adrenaline spikes, you get a, you get afraid. So Scarecrow is using saying, this. I'm What's sorry. Are, are you saying that Scarecrow invented fentanyl? Basically. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but yes. But unequivocally, just, yes. In 1992, uh, he invented fentanyl. Uh, yep. So basically what happens is he – Scarecrow sends telegrams to uh, these athletes, right? And then the athletes touch the telegrams. They get the powder on their hands. And then when they're playing in the game, instead of performing under pressure, they become afraid of everything around them. And so Scarecrow is using this to basically fix the games and then bet on the opposing team to win. And then he's making money on this. Um it's basically for he's doing this for money. He doesn't give a shit about anything else. Uh, Batman confronts him and he's like, Scarecrow, what are you doing? And Scarecrow's like, do you know how much chemicals cost? Like <laughs> for, me to, for me to run my shit, like I need money. <laughs> like, <laughs> but then he spends it all on chemicals, but then he needs to like create right. more crazy things a, with crazy. It's a vicious it's cycle, not- Jason. It's a horrible man. Yeah. Yeah. Capitalism just just running rampant over the scarecrow's whole shit. You know, he would make people afraid for the love of the game, but like he's he doesn't he lives in a capitalist society. So, you know, know, here we are. You know, I I don't I don't I don't fucking buy that excuse, though, because Scarecrow, there has to be a DSA chapter of Gotham. Okay, there has to be a Gotham City (laughs) Democratic Socialist of America chapter that Scarecrow could join and actually do some good if he wanted to smash the fucking state. Yeah. But no. 
But no, but no, he's caught in the capitalist hellscape. Anyway, we'll talk about the issue broadly because we talked a lot about Batman already. Yeah, yeah, we got some prime Batman content in here. Batman Adventures issue four features uh, Robin getting cold cocked on the front with uh, riots and chaos in the issue. He uh, it opens with a a train accident and uh, the guy who was supposed to be working the tracks. he doesn't know how to read anymore, which this is the scarecrow toxin at work. We don't realize it at the time. We assume the guy's like illiterate, I guess. So he's trying to like work the tracks, but he can't read the computer output. So the the train crashes. Batman's on the scene to save everybody. He does the best he could. Shadowy figure of scarecrow being like, let's roll out this. This plan works. Let's roll it out. What happens next? So there's a great transition of scarecrow watching his handiwork of the train falling, coming off the tracks on the TV. You know, yeah, yeah, plan works. And then this beautiful transition, again, to a television that provides us an exposition of what is going on. Yeah. We have a TV reporter, exp- there's like a, uh, traffic's backed up and there's a TV reporter explaining what is, like, again, you know, just Dude. the simplest way to do an info dump is put it on the, have, have a TV reporter say it. I felt like, I, I know this was kind of like how comics were made definitely at the time, but like all of these books were dense as shit, like a oh, lot, yeah. a lot of reading like Kelly Puckett, God bless him, was doing some real good work in the last three issues. And this one, this one definitely reads like a animated script because mm. uh, the writer is not concerned with like if we have a full page of dialogue from a news anchor, like that's a chore to read in a comic book, but that's not a big deal. Like in the animated series, like, yeah, you know, take 30 somebody, seconds. For, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like nothing, you know? And so I don't think that, I don't think that he's thinking about, or maybe he's just not as practiced with like getting yeah. it on the page. Well, I also, I also think it was a, an era specific thing because I think kind of tying back to understanding comics, like one of the big things uh, that Scott McCloud pointed out in Understanding Comics. And at the time, it wasn't as big as it was now, but he pointed out how well uh, Japanese comics uh, did that uh, show-don't-tell thing. You know, yeah, how, absolutely. And, and Scott McCloud, who's like, uh, I think about 10 years older than us, maybe a little bit more, like the Japanese comics he grew up reading were like Astro Boy, because that's all there was, if right. there were any. And uh, but I think coupled with uh, understanding comics being an influence on people and then the uh, increasing uh, uh, influence and availability of Japanese comics in America, I think a lot of younger artists who were then starting to come into the industry, maybe in the mid 90s, early 2000s, that that's how that influence, I think, kind of changed was, oh, I don't need to have all this dialogue like there's different more creative ways to explain it and i just think that uh back then these artists they just did that's just the way it was done you know this is just the other thing too that i realized when i was reading this is that this bit that the scarecrow is doing so um he starts to make people illiterate and then scarecrow is basically like i'm taking revenge on the city you all will be illiterate because you don't put any money into the school systems and I'm pissed about that. Like, so you're all going to become the dummies that you're, that you're, <laughs> that you're set out to be, which is fucking fantastic, by the way. 
great hook. Great hook. Uh, I, I just said, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> like, I'm, yeah, just like, right. I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to investigate this reasoning any further. Just, okay. You gave me yeah. reason. I accept it. So Scarecrow breaks into a broadcast and he's like, you've refused to pay more, uh, more taxes to improve your school system. In so doing, you've enraged me. How and why is unimportant. Suffice to say, I now pursue my justice and at the same time, give you a taste of what the future holds if you continue down the path of the Yahoo. And I was just like, <laughs> fuck yes. The path of the Yahoo. I love it. Yeah, that that was that that was fucking beautiful. That that was so like uh, it reminds it. It's such an old um, insult. Like it reminds right. me of yeah. my, my my dearly departed grandfather, my mother's father, uh, Joseph Donato. He was ninety six when he passed away. He he was born in like nineteen seventeen, I think, or we think mm. we're not sure the year. Uh, but when he would get very angry, which is really seldom to him, the biggest insult was calling someone a dummy. Like he said it with such venom in his voice, you know, like this dummy over here being oh, such a man. dummy. And it was, but like, yeah, that's it, but he, he grew up in the depression. And so it's like, oh, being right. a dummy yeah, is yeah. like, oh, them's, them's fighting words. Oh, you called me a Yahoo? This, he called me a Yahoo. Uh, I thought that, that that writing was in particular very, very good. However, I, I do got to say his whole delivery. So they spend the issue trying to figure out like, how Scarecrow is basically doing this. And they're doing this through music, like basically audio that gets into your brain and then screws up somehow, like your ability to read. And I was reading this and I was like, oh my God, I can tell that these people are television people coming to comic books because you can't like make... (laughs) audio happen in a comic book and and i like, didn't even i didn't even fucking realize that i didn't i'm moment, sorry it didn't so, even occur to me Ugh. so the moment that i realized this was uh eventually by the way eventually they start <laughs> they start shutting down the schools batman's on the case like because nobody can read so who can who can attend school? nobody knows anything if they can't read and uh you know there's like riots and and it's chaos because you know because i forgot how to do a thing because like this job i've been doing for the past like six months that that i just started at it's like yeah of course if i don't know how to read tomorrow i won't know how to do anything else because i don't know how to read hey so there's a bit in this thing where they're like where they're like uh traffic's at a standstill because no one can read i'm like they're like, people are wandering into the street. I'm like, get out of the fucking street. You don't need to read to, to get out of the damn street. What well, are you and doing? Not just that, and not just that. They they deliberately designed traffic lights not only to be uh, to cut through fog, but they designed them to be colors for people who could not read or maybe didn't read that language. Like, you don't need to read to stop at a red light. Like, yeah, what like, is happening in this issue? <laughs> yeah, like it's an almost universal thing, no matter what country you're from, that red means stop and green means go. Yeah. So even if I'm in like Bulgaria and I see a stop sign that might be a different shape and in different letters, but if it's red, I'd be like, oh, I should probably fucking stop here. Basically, the city is eating itself alive because no one can read. There's a moment where I got confused when I was reading the comic where these thugs of Scarecrow, instead of looting... They're bringing in a boombox to be looted from this like 
you know, electronics store. Yeah. And that's when Robin hears the music that makes him illiterate. And that whole bit, I was like, they wish that this was animated because like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause like they're drawing just people holding boom boxes, like a, like a crowd of people holding boom boxes in a store with looting outside. And like, I'm like, Oh, they're taking the boom boxes off the shelf and they're looting them. And then it took me like two or three rereads to be like, are they putting them on the shelf? Like what's happening here? And then, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. When, when Robin hears the music and then he can't read, I was like, Oh, this would work far better because <laughs> like, watch the person put the boombox on the shelf and hit play you know what i mean like i was like yeah um they yeah. do the best they can but it was it was very like oh you're you're in the wrong medium yeah yeah but then you have uh tired batman again oh yeah you tired got, batman you, you got tired bruce just trying to get some winks he's just trying to get some winks and alfred just uh i i also noticed this like running gag of like this running theme, at least in Batman Adventures, and I can't remember if it was Shadow of the Bat or Detective, but we're like, Bruce is just kind of being a dick to Alfred. And Alfred's just trying yeah. to help him out, you know, and Bruce is just like, mm-hmm. and that's an order. It's like, dude, come on. This man raised you, you, you right. fucking petulant child. Like, come on. Right. Come on. There was another really great moment in the book, though, where Batman decides he's going to uh, solve the rioting via the bat plane. So he's going to get in his jet, right? And and like, I understand what they're thinking. They're thinking, we'll put him in the jet. The jet is cool. And it is cool, oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But like, there's this moment where these jewelry thieves like crash into a jewelry store in order to like bash the door in, right? And Batman sees them. So he takes his plane he puts it like vertical instead of horizontal. And then he yep. just cuts the car in half. And I'm like, I, I remember reading this. And and the only thing I could think of when I read it was like, I, I don't think this is crime solving at all. Like, what are, you, you what know are what we I, doing here, Bruce? You know, you know what I thought? I was like, man, I wish Mythbusters was still around. <laughs> yeah, you I know. was like. This is an accident. You have to exchange information. The bat plane would be a smoldering wreck at this point. Or or it would, it would have caused an explosion because it's a jet. Jets Crashing. do not go slow. Yeah. Jets go obscenely fast. And he's like feet off the ground. Like, yeah, it yeah. is. The whole thing is bonkers. The jet is like knocking into like a uh, uh, water towers in order to knock them onto fires yeah. and stuff i'm just like what are we doing jason i did cut i mean i did kind of love it though honestly like honestly i did love it because it's like when you're doing a comic book or a cartoon if you can't do some like very quickly unrealistic shit sure what's what's the, what's the point what's the point we'll just shoot it live action then if we sure, want real sure, physics, we can sure. just shoot live, you, you know like give me give me that cartoon stuff it you also know. felt like a child playing with their bat wing at home. Oh yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Knocking over stuff and like he's solving yeah. crimes. It's like yeah, no, he's, yeah. no, he's not, but okay, whatever. Whatever. It's fine. Yeah, what, what 
yeah, whatever. You're eight. You're eight, and you love Batman, and like, <laughs> here's your toy, and I'm happy that you're happy, and using your imagination, right? You know? Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. So, Batman kind of like helps stop the rioting a little, and Robin's out there, and he's helping stop the riot a little. We get Robin on a motorcycle, which is sweet. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was awesome. So eventually, Robin gets picked up by Batman, and he's like, "Hey, I can't read." And uh, previously, because I'm sure this is going to come up for the next issue, you get one of the the goons is like working on the mayor's television. So the mayor will eventually not be able to read. Um, yeah. Yeah. At the uh, end, I love the, I love the trick of uh, keeping uh, the what, the main goon having a very distinctive tattoo. Like you were talking oh, about yeah, last yeah, episode yeah. of like trying to have distinctive faces and how hard it is. And he's just like, right. this guy's like, I'll just give him a tattoo. That's how that, that's how you tell he's head goon. You're like, yeah, tattoo guy. There he is. Yeah. 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 So at the very end, it's revealed that uh, that Scarecrow is building these manufacturing. He's manufacturing these devices in order to get people not to read. But he isn't personally doing it. He's hired a bunch of gang members to do it. And Batman, in the judgiest fucking way, is like, this is what he says, quote, figures. If the perp who we think is who we think it is, which is Scarecrow, he's uh, just the sort to uh, concoct a cynically clever plan. He probably chooses gang members as henchmen, thinking they wouldn't be distracted by his whatever it is because they probably can't read to begin with. And I was just like, oh, Bruce, Bruce, you catty bitch. You catty, catty bitch. I was like, just like it. I don't know how you decide to go on the path of like i'm gonna be a crime fighter because i want to save this city because the gang members are trash people like it's like you have no compassion for them like even if they even if they struggle to read like they deserve to learn you know like what the fuck dude like it was just (laughs) such a judgy i don't know it's like fuck man like well i i really think uh and, and I agree with you there, and I don't want to undercut you by saying this, but I really think that whole scene, though, was also, whether consciously or not, it was definitely a sort of callback to the uh, uh, Burt Ward, Adam West. Um, oh, you think so? I didn't even think of that. That is a very 60s camp thing. Yeah, and, and slamming his hand, in his fist in his hand, you know, like, yeah. but how, Batman, you know, and like, well, Robin, I, if it's who we think it is, you know, those dumb gang members, like, so I don't right. know if it was like supposed to be like, Hey guys, it's a callback or like someone just being like, yeah, Batman, he uh, hates criminals, uh, doesn't respect them. You know, if the guys working on this show are in their thirties, like in 1991, they were probably watching the Adam West show. So it, it, yeah, it probably is like a little bit of influence from that for sure. Yeah, because those um, those reran a lot, like in throughout yeah. the seventies and eighties. So yeah, yeah. And it ends with a reveal of the scarecrows behind it, with a beautiful shot of the scarecrow being a insane motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great. I love the uh, the Batman animated series scarecrow design. I oh think yeah, with his little like is, underbite and like hood on yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Good. It's just. Uh, yeah, it's just it's so good. It's so and again, it's it's like um, it allows yourself to be cartoony. It's like, yeah, be cartoony, you know, yeah. be like, don't be so tied. Of course, you want some sort of grounding in reality, but don't be so tied to it. It's like 
whoever came up with uh i forgot what artist came up with it uh in the 90s early 2000s uh deadpool but they decided to make uh the eyes even though it was supposed to be a, a full face mask the eyes like wildly expressive yeah spider-man does the same thing too depending on the artist yeah yeah and it's so and, and like i just said it's like yeah you're in a comic book who gives a shit like let the face be expressive so you can get the emotions don't worry right. about like how right. realistic it is you know yeah like, yeah uh so i do the, yeah there's a great there's a great way to end the issue there's a great like kind of poster splash page ending of and absolutely ta-da. the only thing that i wanted to uh talk about with this issue was that they kept the structure of the Kelly Puckett stuff by being like mm-hmm. act one, this act two, this act three. But because this issue clearly does not wrap up the story and it's like going into the next issue, I felt like those act breaks felt tacked on and weird because yeah, yeah. When, when we had the first issues, it was like, this is a penguin story. It has a beginning, middle and end. This is a, a Catwoman story as a beginning, middle and end. And finally we're wrapping up with this Joker story as a beginning, middle and end. And this was all of the ramp up of the first part of this scarecrow story that I assume is going to be the next three issues because they talked about uh, how initially they were doing six issues total. So I assume Kelly Puckett was on the first three and now we're, we're in the back three. So I'm like, why are we still doing this? like act one, act two, act three, are we going to do act four five and six next? Like, cause that feels like what we're doing, but I don't know. Yeah. It just feels weird. It just feels weird. Yeah. Well, the Kelly Puckett stuff, they had, he set it up to have uh, a plot and B plot, you right. know? So the, the a plot of the book, but then the B plot that then wraps up in the third issue, you know, right. which is just a, which, and, and the three act structure. Yeah. It works. It works. It really well. And then it's absent in this. Like this yeah. issue yeah. is act one. The whole thing is act one. So yes. yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Hey, uh, should we hit the letters call? Yeah, let's hit them up. Did you happen to read the letters column at all? I, I skimmed a little bit. I, I read like, I think the final letter where someone asked if it was going to be an ongoing series and then the editor had a very funny response of like well yes now now it is and forever and ever will be on this and like that's yeah, some good yeah, editor yeah. humor right there like someone who's been around the block who like hey it's popular now let's ride this wave but yeah 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 things last forever <laughs> that that letter stood out to me as well um I also noticed that uh, the full addresses are now pulled from the letters column. <laughs> I didn't know it was. So we got one issue of full addresses. And then after that, it's like, it's like Nick, Nick Flaherty, North Carolina mountains instead of Nick Flaherty full address. <laughs> yeah. Someone, someone got sent a box of poop or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something happened. I don't know if this was mandated from higher ups or what, but uh, yeah, something happened anyway. Um, I was struck by that. One of the letters that I noticed was a reader taking a victory lap for for like the whole creation of this process. This guy, Steve Barry, he wanted a 60s Batman book when he was 12. And now he's getting Batman Adventures alongside Batman the Animated Series. And he's like, finally, the editors are listening to me. And I thought that was pretty great, uh, not only because of that, but because... 
they've now made like 60s Batman books, like based on the Adam West show. Like I, I worked on uh, a 60s Batman Batgirl book with uh, Joelle and like made the suit like all all sparkly and sequined and everything like it was in the 60s. And I know Schoonover, Brent Schoonover's done a lot of Batman 66 work uh, with with that stuff with the, you know, Adam West series. So another Adam West tie in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, because those are those are some good designs. Like those are some good, like solid, bold uh, designs. Yeah. And and it's got a vibe, too. Yeah, yeah. And and trends come and go in comics, just like in anything. And I, I think now some of that is coming back a little bit because look at right, this right, bold, right. like look at these designs that weren't afraid to like take a chance. Like maybe it wasn't like maybe some of the stuff wasn't like the best or the color schemes weren't the best, but it's just like they sure. took a fucking chance. And it's nice to see. It's just, you know, just something different. Yeah. You know, it's just something yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, that's all. So there is an unused, what looks like an unused cover. Uh, Scott, the editor, says that um, he's like, this isn't the cover of the next issue, but like, check it out. And it's the covers, the cover, Jason, the cover's fucking hilarious. It's it's Batman and Robin huddled around a book called How to Read and Scarecrow just cackling like an idiot in the background. And I'm just like, I, run it, run it. Can, can I get that in a poster? Please? Yeah, right. It's so now, good. Can I get it's that so in, a, in an archival print? That's fucking hilarious. That's great. You want to hit the two read pile? Yeah, let's hit it up. So I finished off TMNT Volume 1. I don't have a lot more to say about it. It was uh, 17 issues, uh, two really great ones in there. Andy Kuhn uh, did a solo Michelangelo story. He's a great artist, really, really fantastic. And then uh, Sophie Campbell did a solo uh, Leonardo story that was really fantastic. Other than that, uh, uh, it was okay. It took like... 10 issues for shredder to show up so the the they really take their time like laying it out and if you're into tmnt at all you're gonna find it very slow but uh i enjoyed it i'll pick up the next one eventually i'm sure i talked about it last pod but uh yeah yeah, so i don't have to get into too much detail but yeah have you you read you reading anything other than bat books uh yeah still still making my way through the king cat stuff but also um i wanted to I had recently gotten uh, a couple of Kickstarter books in. Uh, I got a collection of um, fairy tales of uh, from different cultures from uh, Iron yeah, Circus. Yeah, you talked about that on one of the previous pods. Yeah, yeah, and I finally cracked open the. Um, uh, forgive me for not. I don't have it in front of me in my little recording booth sure. that I have set up right now. But uh, is the first one I cracked open. Uh, read a few stories of uh, their old Japanese or well Asian uh, folk tales. The first one I read was a. a it's yeah. a Japanese folktale, and it's it's really it's really good. I love that kind of. I love fables a lot. Yeah, like the actual right. thing, fables, and uh, not the comic book. I mean, I do love the comic book too, but you know, that's <laughs> a that's a separate discussion. Uh, uh, and it's just yeah, it's just really well done. And I'm just like, man, like, I really uh, I just love Iron Spike. I just like I'm so envious of. Oh yeah, Spike the, Trotman. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just She's love fantastic. her. Like. She's a great social media follow, but also like, I just, I'm truly jealous of the kind of person who has, 
and I'm sure it's not this easy, but the kind of person who just goes, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just do it myself, you know, and like yeah. gathers people together and just like has that like just that like iron like will of just being like, no, 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 no. We're going to do it. Oh, Kickstarter is going to do some crypto bullshit. Well, screw you, Kickstarter. We're doing our own, right. you know, crowdfunding. I'm like, whole, and then putting out these like phenomenal books and like being so creator friendly and like, and it's none of this stuff is easy to do and doing no. it like this well, this consistently is just, you know, and she's putting all, out, she's putting all, out all books. Um, she runs uh, Iron Circus, which if anybody yep. doesn't know, you should check it out. Um, she puts out a lot of books that are like books that would not normally get made. Like no publisher. I don't think I think it'd be a hard sell for a publisher to be like, I'm doing an anthology on Native American folklore. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to sell. Like, uh, like that's a tough yes from a publisher but she's like yeah. yes let's do it i do think there's an audience here for this i do think this book is important we're gonna we're gonna put our weight behind it and i, I think that's great it's it's fantastic yeah. yeah well and she and she's and, uh, and another thing i think she deserves some sort of like comic humanitarian award <laughs> is that her and people like her who are like hey no i want to target these books at people who are like obviously like who read comic books i want everyone to read them but like I want to put this in the hands of someone who's afraid to read comic books because either they think right. it's silly or they think that like yeah. there's too much more to learn. You know, I don't like, know if we're going to have like a lot of that kind of person listening to this pod because we're talking about Batman books from 30 years ago. Yeah, However, yeah. I do think that all her books are kind of geared towards people who like when they think comic books, they think, oh, I don't want to read Batman and Superman. And it's like, well, no, it's comics are also this. Like comics are, yeah, yeah, are comics are not the superhero genre. They're like a diverse, diverse place. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, the books she makes also, the books she makes, really high quality, like mm-hmm. printed really well. She does really great quality control. Everything I've gotten from her has been really, really fantastic. Oh yeah, and and a, and a great uh, a great uh, champion of obviously of people who aren't like, you know, straight white male voices, like obviously some of those people are in there too, but it's just like, yeah, I'm a straight white male. I hear from straight white males all the time. I'd like to hear from people who aren't and from other places who aren't because it's it's really cool to just experience different things, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. It's just like, doesn't have to be much deeper than that though. I'm sure you can get a lot deeper with that kind of thing, but yeah. uh, Yeah. Still the King cat. Uh, again, check out anything King Cat. Uh, he's just beautiful person. Um, so you brought this, you brought up King Cat before, but you really didn't get into it. what is King Cat. It's it's mostly uh, diary comics. Uh, it's, so King Cat is this uh, mini comic that's been self published for um, God, uh, close to thirty years now. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and John uh, Porcelino, who he's just been doing it for forever i still don't know i think maybe at this point he um might make a living off of it uh but yeah he wasn't like originally like a drawn and quarterly guy he had just like through uh zine culture and like mini comics culture was just known as like this most consistent uh person and, and even you know tie it to uh to spike like he started his own um i don't know if it's still around but he had his own mini comics distro called a uh, spit and a half i believe hmm. Uh, that he would also help like, you know, distribute other 
uh, mini comics and stuff. And it was just this whole like separate thing unto itself, like starting in the nineties. And it just became this like, I don't know. And he's still doing it and he's still doing it. And there's still, so a That's lot right. of them are mostly, they're mostly diary books, but sometimes it'll be like, here's a weird thing I saw on a hike. And like, and a lot of it is through this, like uh, seeing his growth as like a, a Buddhist and Buddhist teachings and stuff. And then like, so the way he'll notice nature and like interact with it and the way he'll write and like express himself uh, is seen a lot through that lens. But yeah, they're mostly personal uh, diary comics for the most part, but like, um, yeah, just and, and highly influential, too, because if you've ever like, you know, enjoyed diary books, I can kind of get like sort of like a um, stream of consciousness almost like yeah. that kind of thing. Like it's just a character kind of walking around like he whether they know it or not, he was like the um, sort of like the Beatles of that, you know, of that kind of like just personal, oh, okay. personal yeah, work, yeah. like very influential, even if people don't know who uh, he is, at least I believe that that influence yeah uh, yeah but yeah king cool. cat comics it's uh yeah look it up <laughs> all right perfect uh, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, uh, check out some some cool comics. Check out some Bat books. Check out King Cat. Check out some TMNT. Uh, yeah. Check out Iron Circus Comics. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for listening. Later. Bye.